Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. If you're not already a member, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com forward slash NOL. Courtesy of Nothing Off Limits, get your free audiobook. I love audiobooks, man. And at audible.com, you've got over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. So whether it's about business and marketing, advertising, like we're going to talk about today, or if it's about health and wellness, or society and culture, like we talk about in some of the other episodes, no matter what, you're going to find an audiobook that you're interested in and that you could learn from while you're on the go, whether you're commuting, going for your run, got your earbuds in at work, whatever it is. Again, go to audibletrial.com forward slash NOL and onto the show. Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should. And welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at LadyFoxEntertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. I'm excited. We have Cindy Gallup with us today, and I'm going to tell you all about her before we dive in. Cindy's background is brand building, marketing, and advertising, and she's an outspoken advocate of diversity in advertising, tech, and business. She acts as a board advisor to a number of tech ventures and consults on brand and business innovation for companies around the world, describing her consultancy approach as, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. I love that. She started the U.S. office of ad agency Bartle Bogle Hagerty in New York City in 1998, and in 2003, she was named Advertising Woman of the Year. Today, she is the founder and CEO of IfWeRanTheWorld.com, co-action software launched in beta at TED 2010 and subsequently written up and taught as a Harvard Business School case study. And she's also the founder of MakeLoveNotPorn.com, launched in TED 2009. Business Insider named her one of the 15 most important marketing strategy thinkers today, alongside Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin, and cited her as number 33 on their list of 100 most influential tech women on Twitter and number one on their list of top 30 people in advertising to follow on Twitter. She has a reputation as a highly compelling and inspirational speaker at conferences and events around the world on a variety of topics, and her four-minute presentation at TED 2009 became one of the most talked about. Later, she expanded that presentation into a thought-provoking book, Make Love Not Porn, Technology's Hardcore Impact on Human Behavior, included as one of Ted's line of TED books. You can follow her on Twitter, at Cindy Gallup, and also please visit makelovenotporn.tv, which is now in beta. It looks awesome. I've been on it. And if any of you is an investor out there, I want you to definitely listen up to this episode. Welcome, Cindy. Um. Thank you, Michelle. I'm delighted to be here. And by the way, I love um, your very practical invitation to investors. I'm all about that. <laughs> I knew that that would make you happy. And actually, I think after this episode, it might actually, you know, we'll see what happens, right? Sure. Worth it. So before we dive into all of the amazing stuff you're doing right now, I want to know about your personal journey. I mean, what drew you to the marketing and advertising world and then becoming a startup uh, entrepreneur? Well, um, to be honest, Michelle, everything in my life um, and career has really happened by accident. I've never consciously planned um, or set out to do anything that I rather bizarrely find myself doing. <laughs> so um, I didn't set out to work in advertising. Um, I actually, 
I went to Oxford University where I read English literature and I fell madly in love with theatre because Oxford has a very thriving student drama scene. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, wrote, acted, directed, stage managed. I was the president of my college, Somerville, um, their drama society. And um, um, I decided all I wanted to do was work in theatre for the rest of my life. But I knew I wasn't good enough to be an actress or a director. And I used to draw a lot when I was younger. And a number of my friends in Oxford um, asked me to design theatre posters for their shows. And from there, they pulled me into helping to promote their shows. And I really enjoyed that. So I actually became a marketing and publicity officer um, in theatre, working at several theatres in the UK for several years, until I got completely fed up with working 24-7 and earning chicken feed. <laughs> and at the time, I was um, the marketing officer at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool. And part of my job promoting the theatre was to give talks to groups. So I gave a talk to a group of women. And after it, one of the women came up to me and she said, young lady, you could sell a fridge to an Eskimo. And I thought, right, that is the universe telling me something. Mm. It's time to set out the establishment and go into advertising. And so I did. And so that, that's how, how I ended up in advertising. And I found that, um, you know, my skills were eminently transferable because advertising is a very theatrical profession. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that all worked out pretty well. That's amazing. I didn't know that background. And uh, I always find it fascinating to see, you know, how people kind of veer through their career paths. So it's very cool. And then what brought you to the States? So um, I actually, um, when I switched into advertising, I worked for several ad agencies in London. And then in 1989, I joined the agency that I would proceed to stay at for the next 16 years, an agency called Bartle Bogle Hegarty. Um, I remember walking into the offices in 89 and thinking, this is a very special place. I might want to stay here a while, but I had no idea how long that was actually going to be. So um, the reason I'm in New York is that I started off working for them in London. I moved to Singapore in 1990 to help start up and run BBH Asia Pacific and then they sent me over to New York in 1998 to um, do my dream job which was to start up um, BBH America for them. So um, I um, founded BBH New York which began as me in a room with a phone starting an advertising agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace which was a lively old ride but um, but but I realized very soon after I arrived in New York that I had found my spiritual home and I decided that I was never going back to London, and I'm here for life. I love it. That's amazing. You were just one gal all by yourself with the phone. Yep. <laughs> I love that <laughs> visual. And then, so fast forward to now, you being having your own startups, these tech startups. Um, what had you fall into that? So again, um, accident. So um, my entrepreneurial career um, really began when... I turn, um, back in 2005, I turned 45 and I had my very own personal midlife crisis in the sense that I'd always thought of 45 as kind of a midlife point. Um, obviously, by the way, the happy assumption one lives to be 90, fingers crossed. Um, but, um, but, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to live that long, Sandy, to be honest. <laughs> but, but in the couple of years running up to it, I'd always thought on one's 45th birthday is the moment when you should pause, take stock, reflect and review, where have I been, where am I going? And so on February 1, 2005, my 45th birthday, I duly did that. And that was the point at which I went, oh my God, I've just worked 16 years for the same advertising agency. Wonderful people, honestly, I love BBH to death, cannot say enough nice things about them. But I thought, 
maybe it's time to do something different. And then the problem was, I hadn't the faintest idea what. So vast amounts of thought and angsting ensued. And eventually I went, if I want to review every possible option open to me for what is effectively the second half of my life, maybe the best thing to do is to put myself on the market very publicly and go, okay, guys, here I am, what do you got? And see what comes. So I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to. And it was the best thing that I ever did in my life. I, I am now evangelical about working for oneself, um, especially, by the way, um, when it comes to women. And I just love the fact that, you know, you can, you can have your own ideas and you can make them happen entirely unconstrained by what anybody else thinks. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. And I'm experiencing that right now. Excellent. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's horrifying, but also exciting at the same time. Well, well, you know, the interesting thing is, Michelle, people make the mistake of thinking that a job is the safe option. Mm -hmm. It absolutely isn't. When you have a job, you are entirely at the mercy of market downturns, management changes, industry collapses. You know, I say to people, whose hands would you rather place your future in? Those of a big corporate entity who at the end of the day doesn't give a shit about you mm -hmm. or somebody who will always have your best interests at heart, i.e. you. That is exactly right. And also, um, you know, when you're trying to fulfill someone's someone else's vision, it's not nearly as fulfilling as uh, living your own purpose. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I want to I want to step into Make Love Not Porn, one of your startups. Um, this was particularly interesting to me when I saw your TED talk, and I was blown away by the the balls that you had to get up there and do this talk. You, you didn't have any hesitancy about it whatsoever. And did you know that the that they were going to kind of flip out about your talk? Um, no, absolutely not. Um, I mean, again, you know, entertainingly, Michelle, um, to, uh, Make Love Not Porn is one of the biggest accidents in my life because, you know, I never set out to consciously, intentionally do anything I'm now doing with it, and I had absolutely no idea it would get the response it did. Um, the way it came about was I date younger men who tend to be men in their 20s. And through dating younger men about nine or ten years ago now, and so bear in mind, this is before the media ever picked up on any of this, I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering an issue that would quite honestly never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. I realized I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And, and by the way, I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's the convergence of both of those factors that results in porn becoming by default the sex education today in not a good way. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes. I went, whoa, I know where this behavior is coming from. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. You know, I didn't know that. And being, being a naturally very action-oriented person, I went, I want to do something about this. So... 
eight years ago, I put up on No Money this tiny, clunky little website at makelovenotporn.com that posts the myths of hardcore porn and balances them with reality. The construct is porn world versus real world. I had the opportunity to launch it at TED, which I've been going to for a number of years. And I took a deliberate decision to be very explicit in my TED talk because I knew that audience would not get this issue unless I was very straightforward about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, I'm the only TED speaker to utter the words come on my face on the TED stage, <laughs> six times a session. You did preface it by having them make sure they cover their ears if they were scared. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, my talk went viral instantly, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny clunky website that I had never anticipated. And the most extraordinary thing was um, not just instantly huge traffic to the site from every country in the world. So it went global without my doing anything about it. Wow. But the most extraordinary thing is that every single day for the past eight years, and and this is ongoing, I have received thousands of emails to my Make Love Not Porn inbox, and they come from everybody. They come from young and old male and female, straight and gay, um, from every country in the world. And even before the actual site that I'd put up, what amazes people is simply the fact that I stood on the stage in public, I talked about, and I'm doing something about what everybody knows, but nobody ever speaks about. (laughs) And as a result, people feel able to tell me anything. They pour their hearts out to me on email. They tell me things about their sex lives and their porn watching habits they've never told anybody else before. They write for advice, 15 year old boys write, 50 year old women write. And it was the sheer cumulative impact of all of these emails arriving day after day after day that eventually made me feel that I now had a personal responsibility. I had to take this initiative forwards in a way that would make it much more far reaching, helpful and effective. So I saw an opportunity to do something that I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to a huge untapped global social need. So what I decided to do was, um, I always have to emphasize to people that Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is the complete lack in our society of an open, healthy, honest conversation around sex in the real world. Yes. Because, Because if we had that amongst so many other benefits, that would also mean that people would then bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is simply artificial entertainment. Mm-hmm. Our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is purely and simply one thing only, which is to help make it easier for people to talk about sex. Talk about sex openly and honestly in the public domain, and by that I mean parents to kids, teachers to schools, friends to friends, anyone to anyone. Mm -hmm. And very importantly, talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. So what I decided to do, therefore, was to take every dynamic that exists out there in social media currently and apply them to the one area no other social network is ever going to go in order to socialize sex and to make real-world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, mm-hmm. Tumblr, It's Twitter, a big Instagram. job because of society and the way it looks at sex in yep, the U.S. Yep. specifically. Yep. 
No, absolutely. And so um, a little over three years ago, my team and I launched the first stage of this vision because we have a whole roadmap for the future. Um, We launched MakeLoveNotPorn.tv, which is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. It's effectively the dot-com site brought to life. I'm a big believer in communication through demonstration. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex. And we are very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We're not amateur. We're building a whole new category on the internet that doesn't currently exist, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube, or it would be if Facebook and YouTube allowed sexual (laughs) self-expression and self-identification, which they don't. So real-world sex videos and Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're simply about doing what you do on every other social platform, which is capturing what goes on in the real world as it happens in all its funny, messy, glorious, beautiful, silly, ridiculous, wonderful humanness. We curate to make sure of that. We watch every video to make sure it's real. We don't publish unless it is. And we have a revenue sharing business model. So a part of the sharing economy, like Uber and Airbnb, you pay to rent and stream real world sex videos. And then 50% of that income goes to our contributors, or as we like to call them, our make love, not porn stars. Because we would like our make love, not porn stars one day to be as famous and celebrated as YouTube stars for the same reasons, their authenticity, their realness, their individuality. Mm-hmm. And we would like them to make just as much money. We want to hit the kind of critical mass where one day your real world sex video, Make Love Not Porn, could hit a million rentals at five bucks per rental. And we give you half of that revenue. We are the answer to the economy, by the way. That's amazing. <laughs> I want to talk about why this is such a challenge, because I understand that there are a ton of myths surrounding hardcore porn, and this is why a lot of people imitate it. They think that that's how you have sex. Tell us about some of those myths in case people haven't been to your Make Love Not Porn website. Sure. So, um, I mean, first of all, Michelle, I do just want to emphasize once again that the issue isn't porn. Mm -hmm. The issue is that we don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. Because... Overly porn-influenced sexual behavior is driven by the best of all possible motives, not the worst. Sure. We, we all get very vulnerable when we get naked. Sexual egos are very fragile. People, therefore, find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex with the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. <laughs> Which is bizarre because you'd yeah. think, oh, this is the most intimate I can possibly be. Why can't I, why can't I say anything? <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's because you are terrified that in that situation, if you say anything at all about what is going on, if you comment on the action anyway at all, you will potentially hurt the other person's feelings, mm. you'll put them off you, you'll derail the encounter, you'll potentially derail the entire relationship, but at the same time, you want to please your partner, you want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed, nobody knows exactly what that means, and so you will seize your cues on how to do that from anywhere you can. And if the only cues you've ever seen them given are from porn, because your parents never talked about sex, your school never taught you, your friends don't talk about it, those are the cues you're going to take to not very good effect. Many issues are laid at the porn industry's door that should be laid at societies. It is not porn's job to educate anybody about sex, it's societies. 
Uh, so that being said, in the absence of open, healthy, honest discussion around sex and sex education, you know, the, the, the kinds of things that happen are, well, you know, if you go to makelovenotporn.com, every one of those 10 pages on that site happened to me. And by the way, you know, um, the reason the site is so basic is because, as I say, I put it up with no money. And, you know, um, the challenges we face, including challenge, include challenges raising funding. So I've not been able to expand it in the way that I would love to because it's infinitely expandable. But the kinds of things we have there at the moment are, for example, you know, porn world, all men love coming on women's faces, all women love having their faces come on. <laughs> Real world, some women like this, some women don't. Some men like this, some don't. Always a good idea to find out whether or not before you suddenly spring it on your partner. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and in fact, you know, really the, the ongoing theme of all the pages on, on makelovenotporn.com is it's all about communication and consent. Everything you see in porn, somebody somewhere loves doing, in fact, an awful lot of somebody's. The issue is communicating to find out, you know, the things you both like and are both really happy doing. Mm -hmm. I said earlier that it's an accident um, that, that I started Make Love Not Porn. What is no accident is that I've spent 30 years working in advertising. I've spent 30 years working in the business of communication. I know that everything great in life and business is born out of great communication. Sex is no different. Great sex is born out of great communication. And, so, and that's why our message boils down to one thing only, talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's funny, though, that in advertising, they say sex sells. And, you know, they use sex in a way to communicate brands and, and to get that message across uh, for luxury and, and all of that kind of stuff. But yet it's still not spoken about. Uh Ah, oh, but but no. Um, so so, um, so this is you know the, here's the interesting thing. Everything I do cross references. So um, I have a whole tranche of work I do that is aimed at you know making my industry um, understand that when advertising does not truly embrace real world sex as part of the universal consumer experience, it's doing consumers a huge um, disfavor. Um, and you know, sex sells um, when it's used as a cliche talk about advertising, references a very specific type of sex selling. Sex selling through the male lens. <laughs> My industry, as per every other industry, is dominated at the top by a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. 97% yes. of all advertising agency creative directors are men, only 3% are women. Wow. And this is for an industry whose primary target is female because women are the primary consumers of every single product, mm -hmm. primary purchasers and the primary influencers of purchase, of purchase in, any, any, in every single product sector. Mm -hmm. And yet, in advertising, we are played back to ourselves all the time through the male gaze. So I champion um, the cause of women in advertising, business, tech, um, you know, everything generally. And when we have 50-50, as many female creative directors as male creative directors, and when we have creative departments that are gender equal or ideally more female than male, the advertising industry has not even begun to see what happens when you use empathetic understanding of real world sex 
to use sex to sell through the female lens. Wow. And trust me, that's a whole different ballgame. Oh, heck yes. I get irritated when I see the perfume ads. It's always the same thing. It's the girl like rolling around either on the yep. sand or on the floor yep. with a really short dress on. Yep. No, you know? absolutely. And, and this is why, you know, um, you can extrapolate that out to every other area of popular culture. Because the day we have a porn industry that is 50-50 equally informed, influenced, driven, managed, led, and, and um, you know, created from the top by women just as much as men, that therefore targets 50% of its output, its product, equally at women just as much as at men, as opposed to currently mistakenly thinking men are its only audience, mm. and that very importantly, therefore, makes 50% of its money out of women just as much as men is the day we have a porn industry and porn that looks completely different. More innovative, more creative, more disruptive, more lucrative, a better, healthier industry overall. And by the way, the same is true of every other industry. Mm -hmm. I Movies, believe that. television, advertising, everything. Yes. How do you think that Make Love Not Porn is going to help expedite this? So, um, let me um, just contextualize my response to that question by saying that um, the one thing I did not realize when I embarked on turning Make Love and Porn into a business was that my team and I would fight a battle every single day to build it. Essentially because every piece of business infrastructure, any other tech startup can at least just take for granted. We can't because the small print always says no adult content. Wow. We can't get funded. We can't get banked. We can't put payments in place. PayPal won't work with us. American Express won't work with us. Every single tech service um, has in its, its terms of service no adult content. We have to go to the people at the top of the hosting and coding and crypting company and beg to be allowed to work with them. We had to build our entire video streaming, video sharing platform from scratch ourselves because off-the-shelf solutions, existing streaming services won't stream adult content. Even something as apparently simple as finding an email partner to send a membership emails out with, rejected by six or seven before we found one who would. Wow. I, I am fighting this battle very publicly because the answer to everything that worries people about porn is not to shut down, censor, clamp down, block, repress. It's to open up. Open up the dialogue in the way that we're working to and in the way that we are right now. Open up to welcoming, supporting and funding the entrepreneurs like me who want to disrupt all of this for the better and open up to allowing us to do business in exactly the same way everybody else does. Now, every business obstacle in our path is precisely why we have to do what we're doing. But what that means is they are massive business inhibitors. I designed Make Love Not Porn to have huge social benefit and huge, by the way, financial returns at scale. But it's taking time to get there because of all these ridiculous barriers we have to fight every single day, mm -hmm. which, by the way, the single biggest one of all is funding, because with funding, we could we could work our way around these barriers much more easily. Yeah. So um, I absolutely am not letting that deter me. And so, you know, to answer your question, we have, we have a very big goal. Um, the ultimate end goal for what we're doing, and, and, and this is a huge goal, this will take, take a long time, but if we achieve our social mission of socializing sex, the ultimate corollary of that is that one day, 
Nobody should ever have to feel ashamed or embarrassed ever again about having a naked photograph or a sex tape of themselves posted on the internet because it's simply just a natural human part of who we all are. When you take the shame and embarrassment out of sex, you completely defuse revenge porn and you defuse many other things with the potential to make human lives very unhappy. Why do you think there's such a stigma attached to proclaiming oneself as sex positive and putting sexy photos out there? Why why does slut shaming occur so much? Does this go back to this like old school way of thinking about sex? So there are there are three um, there are three key dynamics that are why we have the ridiculousness and hypocrisy um, we have around sex. The first is centuries of socio-cultural repression, religion, um, you know, um, customs that have built up in every culture around the world. Everything, by the way, we're a global platform. Everything I'm talking to you about it is true in every single country in the world. Mm-hmm. Nobody is exempt. So the first dynamic is, as I say, centuries of repression, religion, social-cultural dynamics. The second dynamic is, um, quite frankly, the patriarchy. The fact that just as every single area of government, business, society has been dominated by men, as has, um, so has anything to do with sex, um, we are only now um, getting women breaking through that, reclaiming our own sexuality and bringing a different lens to bear. And that's enormously important in driving different attitudes. Mm-hmm. And the third reason is there are not enough people like me. And what I mean by that is society and business make it enormously difficult for anybody to change the social and cultural narrative around sex. Yes. There's always going to be somebody to shut you down. Absolutely. And so many people have tried and just given up. And, you know, I have to tell you that I've absolutely had my moments where I've been so demoralized, so demotivated, I've thought I can't go on. But then I get another one of those extraordinary emails we get every day from our community thanking us for what we're doing. That keeps you going. Mm -hmm. And the other fortunate thing is that the dynamic that drives me, um, that will make me do anything, is the one that I characterize as... I'm going to fucking well show you. <laughs> you tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. You put off my path, yeah. I'm fucking well show you. But quite frankly, um, Michelle, there are not enough people like me. And so that's why we have the situation we currently have. Mm-hmm. Now, I think from my perspective that this the impact that uh, Make Love Not Porn is going to have is to help educate about what intimacy really, really means, what it looks like, because we aren't taught that. No, no, absolutely. So, so, so just to amplify that a bit, Michelle, first of all, um, Make Love Porn is for everybody. So um, we are entirely gender equal, by the way. I talk to as many 20-something men who say to me, my girlfriends are doing everything they see in porn and it's getting in the way of a real connection. One of the things I regularly wish is that society understood the opposite of what it thinks is true. Women enjoy sex just as much as men and men are just as romantic as women. So, um, so we're for everybody. We're for everybody across the entire age spectrum. Our community ranges from 18 to 80, literally. Our Make Love Not Porn stars do as well. But our core target is millennials, 18 to 30 year olds. Mm-hmm. And that for a number of reasons, including the fact that, you know, what they embrace, they then drive the attitudes of, of yes. the rest of 
you know. Um, but millennials particularly get us because, first of all, they're the generation that's grown up um, with online porn, so they need us. But also, they particularly get the fact that, unlike porn, we are not something you watch. We are a communications, inspiration, and engagement vehicle. So we do all sorts of things that are way, way, way beyond the role of porn, which is simply masturbatory material. Um, but we're that too, by the way, extremely happy to be that, but we are so much more. So for example, um, real world sex on Make Love Not Porn is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything, real world bodies, real world hair real world curves, real world penis size, real world right. breast size. I was just going to say, you don't see the, the you know, the 24 inch penis. <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, I mean, it is wonderful. It is glorious. It is uplifting to see ordinary people like you and me having sex, having a wonderful time. By the way, everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex. I mean, it is absolutely. It's natural. You know, our videos are transformative to watch. Then we are enormously reassuring because we celebrate the fact the same shit happens to all of us. We celebrate the accidents, the messiness, the funniness, the humor. <laughs> if you can't laugh at yourselves when you're having sex, when can you? It's not a performance. Relax. It doesn't go right every time. You know. Then, um, to your point, and, and everything I'm talking about is where you know we are utterly unique. You will not find this anywhere else on the internet. Um, as you say, we celebrate real-world emotion. We celebrate real-world love real-world intimacy, real-world feelings, our members write to us and our Make Love Not Porn stars and they say things like, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you looked at each other. I saw the way your eyes met. Mm. I really hope one day I can find somebody I can have that with. Our videos are moving. They're inspirational. They are, um, they, they are a communications vehicle. Because we're social sex, couples watch our videos together. You know, it's absolutely fine for the husband to say to the wife, uh, you know, the um, boyfriend to say to the girlfriend, hey, I came across this, let's check it out. People write to us and say, you saved our marriage. You know, they say, we haven't had sex for years. You know, we came across in a magazine, we sat and we watched these videos together, oh my God, fireworks. Right, and it's um, not, it's different from hardcore porn, and again, not putting down porn, but it's different in that this experience, you are exposed to true intimacy. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I mean, you know, porn is entertainment, we are real world sex, mm -hmm. we are social sex. Mm -hmm. and, and as a demonstration of that, um, here, here is something else that's utterly unique about us. MakeLoveNotPorn.tv is the only place on the internet where porn stars post the sex they have offset in the real world. Because porn stars have real world sex too. And that's something that people wonder about. Yeah, but no, it, and it's completely different from the sex that they perform on camera. And so my, you know, straight, gay, lesbian, trans porn star friends are sharing on Make Love Not Porn the sex they have in their real world relationships with their real world partners and they talk in those videos about how different that is from the kind of sex they perform on set. That's awesome. That is going to open a lot of people's eyes to the fact that it is not reality when you're watching this. Yeah, you know? no, 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 and by the way, you know, it's, it's absolutely not, not obliged to be. As I say, the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. Right. Or that we just don't have the knowledge or there, there's ignorance surrounding the idea that it really is just meant for entertainment. People take that as reality. Right. Um, but, um, in the absence of anything else, which is why we are building the only real world sex counterpoint mm -hmm. to porn. Do you think that this will help to impact sex education in schools? Right. So, so I'm glad you asked that question, Michelle, because I was just about to move on to that area. So um, 
The reason we're doing what we're doing is because the average age date which a child is first exposed to hardcore porn online is eight years old. And a global study done three years ago by the internet security provider Bitdefender indicates that age had actually dropped to six. Wow. Now, this is not because eight-year-old and six-year-olds go looking for porn. They don't. It's a function of what, in the digital world we live in today, is utterly inevitable and cannot be prevented. No matter how much parents might want to, they stumble across it. Mm -hmm. It's a function of what somebody shows your child on a cell phone in the playground. What happens when they go around the neighbor's house? Or, because, you know, this is the most wired generation ever, and, you know, many privileged homes, um, eight-year-olds have access to iPads, iPhones, laptops. You know, they do something really cute and innocent. They learn a new naughty word and they Google it. Penis, he, one or two clicks away, something they're expected exactly. to find. Exactly. By the way, par parents write us about this all the time. A father wrote to me on Facebook a couple of years ago, a stranger. Um, his, his message was headed, my wife and I cannot thank enough what you're doing. He said, we have a 10-year-old son, and we decided it was time to have the sex talk. So I sat down with him, and he said to me, Daddy, why do men wear masks when they're having sex? And this father wrote to me, he said, we have parental controls on our iPad, and my 10-year-old son has somehow managed to find his way to a site where men wear masks when they're having sex. Mm -hmm. He said, we can't thank enough when he's older, we're sending him to your site. So um, what, what we want to do at Make Love Not Porn is, and this is one of the things we are trying to raise funding for, um, we want to build out um, a component of our platform that I characterize as the Khan Academy of Sex Education. Because Khan Academy, the online learning platform, tutors about every topic under the sun except this one, <laughs> which parents and teachers so desperately need. And, and by the way, um, it is absolutely crucial this resource exists outside the school system because I have many friends who are fantastic sex educators and they encounter all the problems within the school system that we do, you know, generally. Absolutely. So, um, so, um, our vision for um, makelovenotporn.academy, I've bought the URL, and in fact, if you go there, um, you'll see that we have a homepage up already, which is capturing names and email addresses of, you know, parents and teachers interested in this. That's fantastic. Uh, Make Love and Porn Academy is going to be tools for educating about sex and porn um, built around exactly the same principles as makelovenotporn.tv, user-generated, crowdsourced, curated revenue sharing. So, so the way it'll work is, this is where we open up our platform to sex educators from all around the world. Because there are people out there doing phenomenal work. I mean, I know a number of, a number of them already. Mm -hmm. So we invite them to submit to us their materials, whatever they are. You know, coursework, tools, videos, books, papers, comic strips, you know, whatever it is. We, we will curate because we only publish what is Make Love Not Porn endorsed. For example... You know, if you were an American sex educator submitting abstinence-only sex education, we would not publish that because we do not endorse the educational approach that is simply don't do it. Right. Utterly unrealistic. So, so we will curate. We will publish segmented by age appropriateness. So if you're a parent going, oh, my God, my seven-year-old just asked about this. What do I do? You can go, go to here. You know, if you're a teacher with a class of 14-year-olds, you can go here. If you're an adult who wants to learn more about whatever, you can go here. Uh, and by the way, when I say sex education, I mean in the broader sense, relationships, intimacy, health, wellness. So we will charge to download, subscribe, bulk buy if you're a school. And we will split the revenue 50-50 with the creators. Because currently, nobody goes into sex education to make money. I would like to change that. That's enormously valuable work. And I would like to see sex educators rewarded massively for the incredible work they do. That's amazing. Nobody's doing what you're doing. No, 
No, absolutely. So why do you think it's so difficult to get investors on board? With what you just shared with me, it seems like a no-brainer. So, you know, Michelle, our single biggest obstacle when it comes to obtaining funding is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think. (laughs) It is never about what the person I'm talking to thinks. Because when you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, nobody can argue with it. The business case is clear. Right. It, it, it is always their fear of what they think other people think, which operates around sex more than any other area. And by the way, fear of what other people will think is the single most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. Yep. That's you the will thing never that will just... in the future yeah. if you care what other people think. That's so, so true. It will just tear the, any piece of joy yep. out of you. Exactly. And so, unfortunately, fear of what other people think rules out two of the usual three tech startup funding routes. First of all, it rules out venture capitalists, institutional investors, too many stakeholders. Secondly, um, depressingly, it also rules out crowdfunding. Separate to the fact that Kickstarter is no adult content, most crowdfunding platforms are, or else they draw an artificial distinction between sex toys fine, people having sex on video not fine. But, but, But the more plangent issue with crowdfunding is that Successful crowdfunding requires a very large number of people willing to very publicly rally around something and very publicly invite everybody else in their network into it. People will totally publicly rally around a piece of hardware, a video game, movie concept. They will not publicly rally in large numbers around anything to do with sex. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves the third route, which is angel investors, privately wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, our challenge there is that any other startup targeting angels can at least do its research and target accordingly. So other startups can go, oh, so-and-so has publicly said they want to invest in blah, my sector, clean tech, whatever it is. Oh, so-and-so has a portfolio investments that indicates clearly their interests are such and such. Nobody currently is putting their hand up going, bring me sex tech. And sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. So I have a two-pronged approach to finding our kind of angel investors. A, I just ask publicly everywhere I go. I have no pride. I need help. Ask for it. Every public speaking engagement I ask from the stage, every media interview, I ask the journalist, you know, um, please make it clear we're looking for investors. Here's my email address, cindyamakelovenotporn.com. And the other thing I do is be, I ask everybody I come across who they know personally. Because when you know somebody personally, you know what they're like behind closed doors. What they're like when they let their hair down. You know what they're like when they talk about sex. Those are our only key performance indicators for the kind of person who might be our kind of investor. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, that's a very long, slow, painful process. I can imagine. So many, many stumbling blocks, but I like what you said earlier. You're going to fucking show them how it's done. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. And in fact, Michelle, I realized very early on that um, I was going to have to pave my own way. You know, in order to break down the business barriers in my path, you know, I'm going to have to do that myself to create the conditions for my own success. So I like to say that I'm in the Steve Jobs business of reality distortion. If reality tells me that I can't build my startup the way I want to, to be the billion dollar venture I know it can be, I'm going to change reality. I am doing what I tell other entrepreneurs to do, which is when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. So I have a whole tranche of work I do that is aimed at demonstrating to the tech and business world that the next big thing in tech is disrupting sex. 
because at baseline level, if I just say that loudly enough, often enough, and in enough places, people will start to believe it. But also because, oh my God, are investors ever missing out? The amount of money there is to be made, mm-hmm. but, but in two areas, the second one of which right now nobody even thinks about because no one even thinks it's possible. So the first area is obviously the money made out of sex. We all have it. We all enjoy it. Recession-proof. Market never goes away. Right. But, but the second area is, oh, my God, the money there is to be made out of socially acceptable sex. Because when you do what we're doing at Make Love Not Porn, socialize sex, make it socially acceptable and shareable, you potentially double, triple, quadruple your returns when you normalize people feeling really okay about publicly buying into your goods and services, publicly doing what they do with everything else, advocate, share, recommend, and publicly badging themselves as brand ambassadors. That's the trillion dollar financial future we're going after. And the proof how achievable that is is out there right now, because at this moment in time, the single highest income grossing author in the world is E.L. James. The author of Fifty Shades of Grey has out-earned Dan Brown, Jim Patterson, Michael Crichton, Fifty Shades of Movie broke box office opening weekend records. That is the financial power of socially acceptable, socially shareable sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation we could have about how that was represented, um, yep. how that represented BDSM. But um, you have the overriding point is absolutely true that when you make it that so that it's accepted, wow. The potential is oh amazing. No, no, exactly. And also, Michelle, it, it's, it's, it's proof of something else I say regularly, which is that there is a huge amount of money to be made out of taking women seriously, especially in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no coincidence that, you know, I, I am pioneering and championing sex tech as a sector. And it's no coincidence that some of the most innovative and disruptive ventures in sex tech are coming from female founders. Because we are owning our sexuality and we are coming up with the most innovative ways in which to leverage that in sex tech. And and you're leading the way, Cindy. Well, I sincerely bloody hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love how you're blowing shit up. You You are indeed the Michael Bay of business. And I am very inspired by what you're doing. And I completely advocate it. That's why I wanted you on this show so we could share this information and and get somebody out there. There's got to be somebody listening who's interested in investing in this burgeoning sector, sex tech, and we'll reach out to you. It's Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. Please go to the website as well, MakeLoveNotPorn.com and MakeLoveNotPorn.tv. And um, also, you have another company called IfWeRanTheWorld.com that people can go check out. Cindy, so awesome to have you on here. Michelle, I enormously appreciate um, you having me on. And, you know, um, I believe that nothing is off limits. So I'm thrilled to be able to talk to somebody on exactly the same wavelength. I very much appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. All the best with your venture. I hope it blows up. (laughs) Thanks so much, Michelle. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.